this, I'll say it again, I've said it before, it is absolutely essential for us as the people of God to understand this concept of spiritual gifts. It is absolutely essential for us as the church to function properly if we understand the spiritual gifts. Uh, it's just a requirement, and the Bible is pretty clear that it's so important, and it will help us personally. It will help us as the people of God. So we're going to explore that some more because it will also help us develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Well, welcome to the program today. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And last week, we started talking about this concept of spiritual gifts, and I'm focused, when I think about this, on the specific things that will help us as the people of God, as the church. I do not allow myself to get distracted with all of the potential what-ifs and wherefores. I focus on the things that will help us function as the people of God, as a to use our modern perspective as a team where we can work together to accomplish God's purposes. And I really believe that if we will embrace this, if we will accept it as something that God is teaching us, and if we will apply ourselves to understanding and to implementing these concepts in our personal lives and in our churches, it will make a huge difference. Most churches don't even think about this that much, and I don't know exactly why it is. I, I have no real insight into that, but I want to encourage you, even if your church doesn't take it seriously or doesn't focus on it, and, and most don't, then I want to encourage you to make it a part of your personal life so you can understand what God is up to in your life, and I believe it will lead you to greater confidence in God and a greater sense of satisfaction that you are accomplishing God's will for your life. So let's plunge in. I've got a few thoughts about all of this again today, and we will, we will, I think at the end of the time, have an opportunity to go forward on all of this. And, and I want to start by reading the rest of the chapter. We started last week with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I don't want to go back and read all of that. One of the key takeaways from that first part was that God wants us to know. God wants us to understand this. He wants us to be able to to implement it in our lives, and he wants it to make a difference in the way we accomplish his purposes in the world and through the church. So let's take a look at verse 12 and read through the rest of that chapter, and then we'll talk about some things, and, and, and particularly some of the key concepts behind this idea of spiritual gifts. I'm reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and following from the Christian Standard Bible. That's the English translation that I'm using. For just as the body is one, it has many parts, and all of the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Indeed, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do we all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So there are a few key ideas in there. One is the concept of unity, that while we are different and we have different functions in the church, the idea is to function as a whole, as a single unit, as the illustration uses, as the body. And it talks about how, as, as same as in our body, you know, when one part suffers, it, we all feel it. Now we can go on and function, but if you've ever had a toothache, you understand how you can go on and function, but it's real distracting. <laughs> it reminds me of the, the old saying, maybe you've heard it, that some pain is physical, some pain is mental, but the worst pain is dental. And so I think you get the idea that, you know, when we have something that's annoying us, like a toothache, we can go ahead and do the things we have to do, but it is not easy. It's just not quite the same. And that's the way it is with the people of God. When one part of the body of Christ, when one part of the church suffers, we all feel that. And we all pay a certain price for it on the same token, by the same token, on the same hand. When one part does really well, we all participate in the honor because we all support each other. It's like the old saying in basketball, maybe you've heard this, that everyone who makes a shot has 10 hands. Now you might say, now, wait a minute, I thought the shooter had two hands. Well, the idea is there are five on the team and you can't make the shot by yourself. It's a team, remember? And so the shooter, the shooter has 10 hands. And we all find our place, and, and to, to tease that out a little bit further, just so you'll begin to think about this in the, in the right way, there are different roles on a basketball team where they're assigned different positions to play. A center, maybe, a forward. You've heard the expression, a shooting guard. Well, what do you think the shooting guard does? I bet the shooting guard is expected to shoot baskets. But that shooting guard doesn't get to shoot that basket just because of his or her accomplishment. It's the team that gets that shooting guard in position to take the shot and to score for the team. And the whole team celebrates the score. In much the same way, we need to think about the way the church works.
that when we do really well or when one part of the church does really well, we all celebrate that because we know it's because of all of our contribution together. It's not a single person or a single group. It's all of the people working together. And it works the other way too. Perhaps the shooting guard gets in a slump and the, the baskets aren't going in the hoop and it's hurting the team. Well, everybody suffers for that. And everybody tries to pick up the shooting guard because we know we need that person to function well. And when they're not, then, well, we all feel it. So that's a little bit of an overview, a look at the idea of, of the body of Christ, the people of God, the church, and how it needs to function together. We aren't greater than each other. We aren't better than each other. We're the church. We work together. So let's break that, this down in a little bit more systematic way. And I, I want to go point by point through a few ideas, some of which we've already touched on from last week and already today. But I want to make sure we review them appropriately so we don't overlook something important. And one of the things I know people think about, and we touched on it a little bit, but I didn't give you last week a specific definition, but I want to talk about what I think is the best definition of a spiritual gift. And much of what I've learned from this study of spiritual gifts, I learned from a man named C. Peter Wagner. I don't know if that name would mean anything to most people, but but he is the man that developed the ideas or at least put them together in a way that that really helped me. And I, I don't really remember how I came across this idea or his work, but it was really a turning point in my life. And his book is still available. And there were some other materials that I found at that time. I don't know what all is available. I haven't checked all of that. But if you're interested in this, his book, Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow, is still available and it's valuable. And I would encourage you to, to get it and read it. It's by C. Peter Wagner. And I don't know where you can get it, but I guess you can get it most anywhere. I had no trouble finding it the last time I bought a copy. I don't expect you will have any trouble either. So giving credit to C. Peter Wagner, we want to go through some of this. And this definition is his. It's a little bit of a, of a maybe you'd say an academic definition. It's not overly cumbersome, but it's specific. And so I want us to talk our way through this definition to make sure we understand. So what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and purpose for use within the context of the body or the church or the people of God, however you want to express that. That's a spiritual gift in a nutshell. So let's go through here. And, and touch on a couple of things. It's a special ability given by the Holy Spirit. Okay, any ability given by the Holy Spirit is going to be what? Special. Okay, we get that. Well, what does this mean when we say special ability? Well, it's special, and that should not be overlooked. That It's special that it's given by the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit gives us a gift, we ought to notice that. But it's also special because it means because the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, it means they are better at that than other things. And so we need to recognize that in ourselves and in each other and, and honor that, honor what God does in our lives, honor what God does in our friends' lives, because he gives special abilities to each of us who are believers. And so it's given by the Holy Spirit, and sometimes people are a little afraid of the Holy Spirit, but, but remember, Jesus said, it's better if I go away, because when I go away and he ascended to the Father, 
the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit came. And so we live in a time when it's better for us because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as a friend, and we need to embrace the Holy Spirit's gifts in our lives and honor that and not grieve the Spirit by resisting the idea or explaining it away or refusing to explore it. All of those things would be a serious error for the follower of Jesus. So it's a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer. Now, that, that sometimes trips people up. I, I, I've thought about this for a long time, and, I, and nobody comes to me very often. I, I think I've heard it a, just a few times in my ministry that someone will say, well, no, I'm not gifted. Well, that's just patently not true, because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to God's people, to believers. So if you are a believer, and most of the people that have said this to me were, they wouldn't say it to me if they weren't, they're believers. And so by definition, by virtue of the Bible's telling us this, they have been given special ability or special abilities. And usually it seems we've discovered that it's not one gift that stands alone. It's a mix of gifts that support each other to help the help us the people of god accomplish god's purposes so every believer so do not consider that that you're left out of that never consider that because god includes everyone and so that means you now you might say well i have some limitations in my life well welcome to life don't we all have limitations none of us are unlimited we all have either responsibilities or there are physical limitations sometimes Sometimes they're mild, sometimes they're, they're more profound. We have limitations by season of life. If you are the parents of several small children, you have some limitations on your time and energy. Well, we all understand that. We wouldn't want you to, to do otherwise than take care of those children. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have something to offer to the people of God. I think you do, and I think if you fail to live up to that, even at that season of life, you've missed something of what God is trying to do in your life and for your church. But we also understand that that makes a difference because it requires certain effort on our part. By the same token, take the other end of life. Perhaps you're elderly and, and you can't get around like you once could, and so you have some physical limitations. Does that mean you don't have spiritual gifts that God wants to use? Well, of course not. We need to quit looking at the things that keep us from doing and start looking at the things that God is doing in our lives and think about what is possible, not what is impossible. For God is wanting to help us do what's possible. And you never know, when you start doing what's possible, you might bump up against and discover there are some things you thought were impossible that really aren't impossible. So every believer is included, everyone. Doesn't matter age, season of life. It, it just means you have some spiritual gifts. Your time, energies, other things might guide the course of your life. You might think of it as a limitation, but we all have certain limitations. We all have certain opportunities. We just need to find what God is doing in our lives and cooperate with that. You see, when, when it says that we're given special abilities by the Holy Spirit to every believer, then that implies, don't you think, that we should cooperate with God. Wow, that's a novel idea, isn't it? That we should cooperate with the gift of grace that God has for our lives instead of doubting it or resisting it. 
Let's cooperate with God. So a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and purpose. Now, there's a key part of that. The Holy Spirit gives those gifts, gives us gifts, gives you gifts according to his design and purpose. I don't know why he chooses a certain gift for you. I don't have that information. As far as I know, the Bible doesn't give us that information. But it does say that the Holy Spirit decides, God decides what gifts to give to what people, and that's by his design and his purpose. And, and you know, we can trust him with that. We have confidence that he knows us and will help us, and we can, we can live out the gifts he's given us by his design and purpose. So here, let's go back again. A special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design and purpose for use within the context of the body, or as you heard me say, the church or the people of God. We sometimes express those things differently, and sometimes they seem to mean something different to people, but we're really talking about the followers of Jesus, the church, the people of God. I don't know how else to say it. And those gifts that he gives are given to function within the context of the people of God, or as Corinthians clearly makes plain, the body of Christ, because he uses the body illustration so thoroughly there. So we function with those to support the body of Christ, the people of God, the church. That's, that's very clear from the New Testament's teaching on that. So how did God choose, when we unpack it a little differently now, how did God choose to organize the church, the people of God, the body of Christ? Well, we're very convinced that God didn't choose a benevolent dictatorship where one person rules over all of the others. The only single ruler over the church is Christ, the head of the church. He didn't design the church for us to have benevolent dictators. Yes, we have people with leadership gifts, and we should honor that, and they can lead the church, but that does not equal, equal being a benevolent dictator. On the other hand, the church was not intended to be a democracy where the members of the church rule. You know, the problem with a democracy, the same as in the political environment, the problem with a democracy is that it means that the majority rule. Half the people plus one, the majority rule, and they can decide what they want to decide. And so many times, and we need to remind ourselves, that results in mob rule. Well, God didn't set up the church, the people of God, to be ruled by the mob. He didn't set it up to be ruled by vote. He really set it up to function as the body of Christ, this, this idea. And often you'll hear people talk about the church as an organism, and sometimes they say that as more of a rhetorical device than, than a... Uh, real description, but you can make a good case for, the, for that when you think about the church as the body of Christ. See, Christ is the head, and each of us, we function within that organization, that church, that body, within the people of God, according to the gifts God has given us. And so that's how we organize ourselves, similar, similar to the basketball team, where they, they play a certain position. And we play our position in the church based upon the gifts God has given us. It's no more complicated than that, really. 
because that's what God has called us to be. And those are the kind of people he wants us to be. Team players, you might say, where we cooperate with each other, where we respect each other's gifts, and we benefit from each other's gifts. So sometimes people say, well, how many people have spiritual gifts? And, and I think I answer this question over and over, and I'm going to answer it again to say very clearly, all Christians have one or more spiritual gifts. It's been my observation that generally God gives a Christian, a follower of Jesus, more than one gift or a mix of gifts so that they support each other and helps that person function in the body of Christ. But everybody has at least one. Most of the time, we have a mix of gifts that are assets to each other that support each other. So, for example, if I'm a Bible teacher and that's kind of what I'm doing right now, then I also have a gift to support study. And sometimes people describe that as wisdom. Sometimes people describe that as knowledge. But those are the kinds of things that help me sort out what is the Bible saying so that I can make meaning of it to the other people in the church. And so that's a mix of gifts that supports that. And then another question that comes up is, why do we need to know about spiritual gifts? Well, the, the easy throwaway answer to that is because it's in the Bible. Hello. But uh, let's think about that a little more deeply. I don't want to just be trite with those kinds of things. In my life, I, and I would say this in yours, understanding this concept of spiritual gifts will benefit you personally. It has benefited me personally. It changed the, the trajectory of my life at one point. Not, not hugely, not dramatically. It wasn't like somebody flipped a switch and one day everything changed. That's not what I'm saying. But it helped me make a better decision about what I would do, where I would go, how I would function in the church next. And it was a great benefit to me because I had this settled idea. This was what God was leading me to do. This is what God expected me to do. And don't we want to please God? Well, of course we do. And so it benefits you personally. You'll know that. You can you can, you'll know what God expects. You can do what God expects. And you can have the joy of that being fulfilled in your life. And that's a great personal benefit. Some people go for a long time wondering what it is that God wants them to do. God wants you to know. Remember, verse 1 from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God wants us to know this idea of spiritual gifts. The second reason that I think we need to know about spiritual gifts is that they benefit the entire church. I want to be clear about this. God does not give you, he does not give me, he does not give any Christian a spiritual gift or a combination of spiritual gifts for their personal amusement or enjoyment. The idea is to benefit the whole church. And so when the Spirit of God works through us, it's for the purpose of helping the people of God. Yes, we benefit personally, no question about that, but God's primary focus is to benefit the church, and he works through us and makes it our delight to benefit the church. And the other thing, and, I'll, and I've already alluded to this and mentioned this, but it really, without a doubt, helps us know God's will for your life. See, I'm convinced that the gift God gives you, or the mix of gifts God gives you, is God's will for your life. You don't have to wonder. God does not want you to be a missionary, for example, unless he gives you gifts to be a missionary, and that's a special ability. I have known people in my life who I marveled at because they had the special ability to be a missionary. 
I, my aunt and uncle were that way. My aunt who is still living, although she's not able, she would go to the mission field in a heartbeat because that's what God was doing in her. But now she has the limitation of, of physical age and can't do that, but her heart is still there. And it's clear that's what God gifted her to do. The rest of us, we just stand back and, and marvel at that and, and thank God that he does that work in some people. I've, I've known other people. That's only one example. Another good friend who, who for years served on the mission field in very strategic roles. I mean, it's absolutely clear when I see him in action that God gave him special ability to be a missionary. God didn't give me that special ability, but I admire it in other people, and I'm thankful that God has given that. We need people who have the gift to be a missionary. But if he didn't give us that gift, you and I, then we need to find what is our responsibility on God's team and live that out. Well, let's take three more important things related to the Christian life and spiritual gifts. So you really have several important goals for your Christian life. And one of those is to discover your spiritual gifts. And I've mentioned that, and I'm convinced that God wants you to know. I, I think sometimes we, we overlook them because they're right in front of us. So look for the obvious. Look for what God is doing through your life. Maybe look for what you enjoy doing. Maybe look at, at how God has, has helped you do things you didn't know you could, or how you do things better than other people. And it's not arrogant to say, wow, look what God helps me do. That's just a way that he helps you discover your spiritual gifts. We do need to discover them. Now, once discovered, and I think sometimes people get hung up here, we have a responsibility to develop them. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean you're as well developed in using that gift as you can be. So we need to, to develop that gift. That means we need to learn how to do certain things. We need to practice certain things. It depends on the gift, how you might develop that. But once discovered, it's not just enough to say, okay, stand back, everybody. I'm going to show you how this is done. No, it's, it's to say, look what God is doing. And now I have a stewardship responsibility to develop that gift so that I am better at it in a year than I am now. So that I keep moving forward with this and not stay stuck. So that I actually demonstrate the power of God in me to develop the use of this gift and, uh, and, and let's go do this together and let's see what God can do through all of us. So the first responsibility I think that every Christian has is to discover your spiritual gift. Second is to develop your spiritual gift, to learn how to, how to do things, to stretch, to grow. And the third thing then is to use your spiritual gift. We need to put it into practice. Now, these are not necessarily static steps. Sometimes we take baby steps and start using what we think is our spiritual gift to find out if that really is our spiritual gift. That can be an indicator whether that's the right direction. So don't think of these as necessarily, well, I can't do anything till I've discovered for certain. Well, sometimes the discovery is reinforced by the development. And sometimes the development reinforces the discovery or points us in a different direction as we develop it, we suddenly realize something else. And so it becomes a, a helpful learning process. In the same way, when we put it into practice, when we use the spiritual gift, that's a huge indicator of, of what we have learned in our lives, of what God is helping us do. Because if we use a certain spiritual gift and we're lousy at it, and everybody says, you know, you're not very good at this, 
then that's an indicator that, well, I guess I didn't exactly discover what I thought I had discovered, and I need to go back and reconsider that. It doesn't make you a bad person to have that kind of correction. It should be a cause for rejoicing because, thank the Lord, I'm not going to keep making this mistake. I'm going to double back and find out what it is that God is doing in my life so that I can be what he's called me to be, what he expects me to be. I don't have to force something because if the Holy Spirit gives us a special ability, it's not about forcing it. It's about releasing it and cooperating with the grace of God in our lives. So we need to kind of think that through a little bit. And, and some people say, well, why does discover first come before develop? Well, it's a dynamic, I think, but, but we discover first because the gift has already been given to us by grace and gifts are received, not achieved. So we can't just go out and do something. We have to receive the gift God has given us and then achieve the work that he provides for us. So it's, it's, it's receive first, develop and use in a dynamic process. But until we're open to receiving and until we're open to acknowledging, and you know, it can be as simple as saying to God, I'm going to take you at your word and believe that you've given me these gifts. I'm not altogether sure that what they are, but I believe you've given them to me and I'm going to find out what it is. I'm going to trust you to show me. I'm going to develop what you show me and I'm going to put it into practice because I'm confident you want to use me. And that's how we go from receiving the gift to achieving the purposes that God has for our lives. Well, that's a lot to throw in here in the first few minutes of our program together. And we're going to take a break and we're going to continue on down this road with some other things and help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Stay tuned. Join us again in a minute. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. 
had they taken a poll in Philadelphia in 1776, they would have scrapped the whole idea of independence. A third of the country was for it, a third of the country was against it, and the remaining third, well, in the old human way, was waiting to see who came out on top. Those are the words of David McCullough. Join us back at AmericaOutloud.com and find out which of today's politicians are in which third. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Stevens, and we're helping each other today understand the concept of spiritual gifts. And one of the reasons is because when we understand the concept of spiritual gifts, it will be good for us personally, it will be good for our church, and it will help us understand God's will for our lives. And so we want to understand that it will also reinforce our confidence in God's trustworthiness, because the more we understand and come to a settled sense of who God has made us to be and what he has made us to do, we will come to a much better place of maturity and confidence and peace in our lives because we won't wonder, what does God want me to accomplish? I should also remind you that I call myself Pastor Rick because I am the pastor of a church in Cape Coral, Florida, Diplomat Wesleyan Church, and I want to thank them for their support of this effort, of this podcast. We do this because we want to help you share what God has given to us and to make it available to you, and we hope you find it useful. See, that's the whole point of what God wants us to do for each other. It's to help each other, and that's one of the things that we talked about with spiritual gifts is that when we use our gifts, it's meant to benefit the church. And so, I want my gifts to benefit my local church, but I want my gifts to benefit anybody else in the church, any place else that I can help. And so that's why we do this. We hope you find it helpful. We do it for your benefit and and, and an, an attempt to build up people so that they can be more effective in the kingdom of God and have more confidence in, in their walk with Jesus. So let's take the, the other view of this. I've been encouraging you to to discover, develop, and use your spiritual gifts, what happens if we say, nope, it's not for me, not going to do it, not interested? Well, the Bible over and over really in, in a number of places reminds us that we are stewards of the life God has given us and of the physical body God has given us. We are stewards of the gifts God has given us because we reread in the Bible that, that all that we are and all that we have is a gift of God. And so we're stewards of the gifts. And if God says to us in, in the Bible, and he does, that he gives us gifts, then, then we need to take that seriously because we are required to give an account for that. And in Matthew 25, there's a story of some faithful and unfaithful servants. And of the faithful servants, it, they were described as good and faithful. And of the lazy, unfaithful servants, they're described as wicked and lazy. So if I use my gift well, if I discover, develop, and use it, then I move into the good and faithful servant category. If I refuse to even consider it, then it's very clear from the Bible that I'm the wicked and lazy servant. So we want to be good and faithful, and, and I'm convinced that it gives us confidence that we are good and faithful when we discover, develop, and use our spiritual gifts. Now suppose, think about it the other way now, 
that everybody in your church decided they were going to discover, develop, and use their spiritual gifts. What might be the results of that? Well, let's think about that a little bit. First of all, everybody would know their place on the team, or perhaps we could say their spiritual job description. Everybody would know what role that God expected them to play and how they could help each other accomplish the work of God in their local church. The same as on a sports team, when everybody finds the position where they can excel, you have much better opportunity to be a winning team. And we want God's people to be a winning team. We want the church to accomplish God's purposes. Another thing that I think will happen, and, and sadly, too many churches struggle with this, all the people will be able to work together in harmony and effectiveness, and they can put aside pride and envy and false humility, because it will help us understand this is how God has made me. I don't take credit for it. The Bible's clear that I don't brag about what God has given me. I, I would be nothing except for his gifts. And I'm very conscious of that. Sometimes God will show me something. I think, where did that come from? And then I, just about time I think, where did that come from? I say, oh, I know where that came from. It didn't come from me. And so if we can grasp this concept of spiritual gifts, then we can work together effectively and we can avoid some of the tensions of pride, envy, false humility. And the Bible tells us that, that when we work together like this, remember our gifts are to benefit the church, the body of Christ, then that helps us mature. We grow up in godliness. The church develops a depth and a breadth of maturity and wholeness. The Bible also suggests that when we do that, the church will grow because people will be intrigued and attracted by a group of people that can work together and that have their focus in the right place and humbly acknowledge that it's God that does the work in them but also boldly use those gifts without apology because they realize it's the Spirit working in them, and they're going to go for it. And so it helps the church grow in all kinds of ways, probably numerically, probably in other ways that you will be surprised by. And of course, we must not overlook, and we don't overlook, that, that God will be glorified when we use those gifts, when we discover, develop, and use the gifts God has given us. Now, the other thing that we should probably point out is there is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural talents. And we can see that, that pretty easily because Christians, followers of Jesus, have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts. And so their abilities come from him and are energized by his work. People who are not followers of Jesus might have natural talent. They might be good at certain things, but that's a different level of creation. That's not the Holy Spirit working in them. And so we need to make sure that we're careful to distinguish between the spiritual gifts God is energizing in our lives and some other talents. Now, for me, I think part of what that helps me with that is not so much a focus on natural talents, but as, as what is God emphasizing in my life today? And, and I have some abilities that I can do that I'm not really convinced are spiritual gifts. Some people would say they are. I understand why they think that, but I also understand why I think they aren't. And I can accept that as God's gracious kindness to allow me to do some things, but the, but the gifts are different. They just function different. I can tell the difference when I use them. And, and the other thing I think we need to make sure of is we don't confuse the 
concept of spiritual gifts with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, and I don't want to get into that now, but it's, it's the idea that there are certain character qualities. And so we're all supposed to be characterized by things like kindness and love, because the Spirit develops those in our lives. None of us are exempt from that, but all of us need to be specific about the gifts God gives us, because that leads us to the roles that we need to, to live out in the body of Christ. And related to that, we need to think about the roles in the body of Christ. Occasionally, we all have to do things that are not necessarily in our giftedness. And those would be roles that some, sometimes the jobness just needs to be done. And we don't want to find ourselves saying, well, that's not my gift. I'm not doing it. That'd be foolish. Sometimes we just have to do what we have to do because it needs to get done. And while we don't confuse those two functions, we don't shy away from them because we want to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And if sometimes we have to step into a role that's different than our gifts, we're willing to do that. So let's take that a little further now. When you get a gift, how long do you keep it? Is it a lifetime possession? Well, there are several indicators on this, and I don't know of any place in the Bible that it tells us straight up that it's a lifetime possession. It seems to me that we need to be good stewards of the gifts. And, and that story that I mentioned earlier, when the master returned and found that they were bad stewards, uh, he took away from them what he had given them. And so we need to be conscious that if we don't do what God has called us to do, we shouldn't expect God to forever work in us in the same way. At the same time, in Corinthians, and you heard me read that earlier, the idea of the body of Christ you know, we don't have a hand for a certain period of our life. We have a hand forever. And so when we think about God giving gifts to the people of God, and when we think about the analogy of the bodily members, it leads to a sense that, that God wants us to continue on with those. Uh, can God give the gifts one at a time? Sure he can. I said earlier, he can give them any way he wants to, because it's by the Holy Spirit's design and purpose. Generally, what we observe is that God gives believers a mix of gifts to help them accomplish his purpose, purposes for them and for their church. And the other reason that we need to think of them more in a permanent fashion is that why would we spend the time developing something that isn't permanent? And so God asks us to, to develop our gifts. And so it would be pretty capricious of him for us to spend a year developing a gift that he's given us and then turn around and say, okay, thank you very much. I'm taking that back. Uh, that, that just doesn't stand up to the character of God. So you shouldn't look at them as, as um, oh, what if I lose it? Uh, it seems to me from the Bible, the way we lose, if you want to use that language, lose a gift is when we don't use a gift. And we need to, we need to be diligent about discovering, developing, and using those gifts. And it also seems to me that when we use the gifts God has given us, he energizes us and we get better at them. And sometimes he gives us more gifts and gives us the privilege of a greater opportunity to serve him in different ways. And we grow in that direction. I mentioned roles and I mentioned gifts. And I want to also say one more thing about this concept of gifts and roles. We need to use our gifts, the spiritual gifts God gives us in a structured, intentional, purposeful fashion. In other words, we don't take them casually. We recognize that God has given us these gifts, and then we need to, to live our lives with certain ministries and certain activities that involve using those gifts intentionally. We might do some other things, but we always come back to saying, no, wait a minute, the primary 
function that I need to play on this team called the body of Christ, this team called the church, is to use my gift in a structured fashion. So going back to the basketball illustration, and I don't know much about basketball, so if I've messed this up, you'll understand it's just because he doesn't know basketball, and you'll all be saying to each other, he doesn't know basketball. But let's go back to the shooting guard idea. The shooting guard should be a shooting guard. They should practice shooting. So they're prepared to shoot the basketball and to score the points the team needs. So whatever gifts you have, you need to be practicing and preparing and using those gifts in a structured fashion to help the team win. At the same time, when we have to do certain things that aren't exactly in line with the gifts God has given us, other things that, that come along that somebody just needs to do, we see something needs to be done, so we do it. That's a more casual fashion. It's, it's because it needs to be done, but it's not something we would repeatedly emphasize. Instead, we would, we would want other people who have that gift to pick up that responsibility and carry that because they can do that in a structured fashion. So let me give you five steps toward this idea of, of discovering your spiritual gifts. First, explore the possibilities. Be open to the idea that, wow, wow, isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit looks down and he sees you, and he's going to give you gifts that you can use for the kingdom of God, and that he wants to energize in your life. So be open to that possibility. Don't resist it. Don't out of some false sense, some weird sense, some, all right, I'll say it, sinful sense of humility that you resist the work of God. Get over that. It's not about you. It's about what the Spirit wants to do in your life. And true hum humility doesn't think about themselves so much. It thinks about what God can accomplish in them and humbly sets about doing it and doing it with zest and vigor and energy and delight. So explore the possibilities. I would say if you struggle with that, to begin to experiment with, with some of the things that you think might be what God is up to in your life. Maybe you can't narrow it down. Maybe, maybe you kind of think, and I, I, I really think some people think this, maybe you kind of think, well, surely that's just a simple little thing. God wouldn't be doing that in my life. <laughs> Guess what? That could be a clue. So experiment. Maybe that is God's direction in your life because you know, what you think is almost easy to do and, and of, of little consequence might be that way because of what God is doing in your life. And be, it becomes easier and enjoyable, even delightful for you because of that. So experiment with that. And see, related to that is this idea of how you feel about it. If it's delightful, if it's kind of easier. I'm not going to pretend that everything that God calls us to do in our spiritual gifts is easy. Don't hear me saying that. But you might feel like, well, this takes some effort, and it does for me. But, you know, I, I feel good about that. I feel like that's what God is doing. He's helping me as I do it, even though there's work involved, and even though I don't have to apply myself to it. It's like, wow, this is terrific. And so I can examine my feelings. Now, there are some other things that if I need to do, I don't enjoy them much at all. It's a considerable labor for me. Well, last night I was the last one in the building and I heard some water running and I thought, uh Oh, sounds like a plumbing challenge. Well, it turns out it was, and, and that's not my gift. Fixing plumbing is not my gift. And, and our church should be quick to say to me, uh, you stay away from the plumbing. We don't need any more leaks. 
and they might be right. I might make it worse. Well, I didn't make this work. I'm worse. I'm not sure I fixed it. I, I could see obviously one thing that needed to be fixed and I at least satisfied my mind that it would be okay until somebody who knew better could look at it. Well, see, I, I didn't mind doing that, but I would never feel the fulfillment and the satisfaction that that's what God wants me to do because that's not a gift God has given me. And so I, I feel differently about that, not a reluctance to do it because what am I going to do? Leave it and let it go overnight. Wait till I can get somebody to look at it. No, I needed to address the situation and I did as best as I could, but uh, I, I, that's just not going to be something I focus on because again, that's a casual, a casual task that I accomplished. It's not something I should do in a structured way. And so I understand my feelings about that and I understand the gifts God has given me. And, and so you start with step one, explore the possibilities. Step two, experiment with as many as you can. Step three, examine your feelings. How does it seem to you? What's the spirit saying to you about, about what, you're, what you're experimenting with? And step four, evaluate your effectiveness. I got to be honest with you. If you're trying a ministry and you're bad at it, you're just bad at it. Can, can we agree to that? Can we admit that? Because there are some things that, that I'm bad at. And, and well, plumbing is one of them, but there are other things that I'm bad at. In fact, I'm only good at a few things and I'm glad I'm good at something, but I've got to evaluate my effectiveness because why would I spend my time and energy trying to be effective at something when God is up to something different in my life? And can we say no to the things that God is not supporting in our lives so we can say a colossal, giant, huge yes to the things that he is doing? That's, that's what I mean when I say evaluate your effectiveness. Be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and see how it's, how it's going. Um, you just might not be good at some things, and that's, there's no shame in that, because we're all bad at more things than we're good at. It's just the way it is. So we need to accept that and look for the things that God is blessing and energizing in our lives and, and do that. And then the fifth thing is, is maybe the hardest thing for a lot of people, and that's we need to expect confirmation from the church from the body of Christ, from the people of God. You know, it's a little daunting to, to say to somebody, well, I think I have this gift. I've tried it out. I've worked on it. And I think I feel pretty good about how it's going. And it seems to me that I'm pretty effective at it. What do you think? And then we put ourselves out there and we ask the church to say, yay or nay, either a church leader or someone involved in that ministry, maybe a friend of ours, somebody who understands the spiritual gifts, but somebody who also understands us, uh, somebody who understands what needs to be done and understands the difference between effectiveness and ineffectiveness. And then they can help us know whether that's what God is doing. And they might say to us, you know, you're pretty good at that, but I'm just not sure that that's where you're really gifted. I don't think you should throw yourself overboard because of that, but you might want to take a little deeper look because I have the sense that you're better at some other things. And then they might tell you what they think you're better at. And you might uh, respond to that by going, oh boy, I didn't want to hear that because I wanted to be good at this and I wanted them to tell me I was. And when they tell you what they think you're good at, you might say, well, that's just so easy or so simplistic or so you fill in the blank for yourself. And maybe it's because you think that and you're overlooking something that God is doing. And when you develop and use that, maybe it would become more than you ever imagined. So the idea of expecting confirmation is really important. And, and I go back to the early days of my life. I, I, sometimes people ask me, 
how did I know I should be a pastor? How did I know I should be a minister? And it's easy in some respects, and it's not so easy in other respects to explain. But let me just give you this idea in terms of this, especially this idea of confirmation from the body of Christ. I didn't understand anything about spiritual gifts in those days, but from the earliest times that I can remember as a, as a kid, I had this sense that God was calling me to something. I, I wasn't sure what, I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, for a long time, I was afraid it was to be a missionary, later discovered it wasn't, and it's a good thing because I'd have been a colossal failure as a missionary. Nobody would have wanted me to be a missionary. But I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew it meant something. And so I took the steps that I thought God was leading me to. I discovered a kind of ministry that I enjoyed. I discovered church music when I was in high school, and, and I cannot hardly describe how that resonated with me. And so I thought, this must be it, that God has been calling me all this time, and he wants me to be a music director at a church. In those days, we call it a minister of music, a little different function than, than our worship leaders have today. But that just so appealed to me. And I thought, that's got to be it. So I prepared myself to do that. And I followed through on that. And then I did. I served some churches in capacity of music and, and some other ministries along the way with that. And, and I had no sense that I was wrong. I just felt like that was exactly what God had called me to do. And, and people seemed to agree with that. Well, along the way, I remember at uh, one point thinking, you know, is there more that I should do? And so having acknowledged that God had called me, it was the next step to say, you know, I think God has called me to pursue ordination and to be a, a minister in a different way than a minister of music. And so I had to confess that because the church had to agree with me that that was right. And so I put it out there and and I had to go meet with some people in a different level of the church organization, people I didn't know. I didn't know these guys at all. I didn't know what they would think about me. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember being really alarmed by it, but I had a certain amount of trepidation because I just didn't know whether they would agree or not. And to my delight, they agreed. I don't know if they were desperate. Some people might say they were, because if they knew me at the time, you might have said, oh boy, they were desperate. I don't know. But they agreed that they that they saw in me potential and that they saw in me that, yes, God had given me the, we use the term gifts and graces to, to be a minister. Well, I continued to pursue that. I've studied some things. I continued to do my music. And then, then there was a pivotal point at which I remember uh, I just needed to take the step and be a pastor. Uh, I, I don't re remember thinking I didn't like the music. I just knew that's what God called me to do. And I also knew that putting that out there meant, what if no church wanted me? And I went through a little period of time where no church wanted me. Well, I don't remember being really alarmed about that. I was a little concerned about how would, how would my family manage because we needed, you know, we needed something for me to do just to support our family. But then a church took a chance on me and a district superintendent took a chance on me. I was kind of surprised how eager he was for me to come to his district, but I went. And I remember, to my amazement, settling into that church and beginning to serve them as pastor. And so many things that happened were things that God had prepared me to manage and to handle. And they didn't shake up my confidence. They didn't 
push me in one way or another. I was just able to, to do that. And the more I went along and the more I've continued in my life, and that's been many years ago now, the more I have come to the conviction that God knew what he was doing. Hasn't always been easy. You know, God didn't promise it would always be easy. But I can tell you at this stage of my life, I have a real settled certainty that this is what God has called me to do. And this is who he's called me to be in my life. And especially at this season of my life, where it will be, you know, a year or two from now, I don't know, life changes, you know, we all get older, things happen. But for right now, I can say I'm very comfortable doing this. And God has called me to do this. And I'm amazed at how he helps me. I mean, I could tell you some stories and, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. How did that work out? And how did this work out? And where did that come from? Last night, we were in a conversation about some things. And all of a sudden, I thought of something, a concept from the Bible and connected something I'd never thought of before. I didn't say anything to the group, but I sat there wondering, wow, where'd that come from? And I said to myself, well, I know where it came from. That's what God does for us when we discover, develop, and use the spiritual gifts. And I don't say that to brag because Early in Corinthians chapter one, it says, if you're going to brag, brag on Christ. And my only ability to do this thing is because he does it through me and I'm just available and I cooperate with his grace. So as you're thinking about all this, maybe that's the place you should land, that you determine you're going to cooperate with the grace of God in whatever way it leads. And you're not going to resist or refuse to believe or have false humility, you're going to cooperate with what God is doing in your life. Because when you do, you will discover you have a deeper faith than you ever thought possible, and you will have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So go with God, be that person, and meet me back here next week.